Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I have with me a friend of mine that I grew up together in the Russian community with. And uh, today I thought it'd be a really good experience to talk about our kind of faith and uh, trying to find a genuine faith and real faith amidst of tradition and also how do we preach that faith to a culture that maybe is not so nice towards the Christian faith. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And um, if you're listening in podcast, I'd love if you can rate this podcast or maybe share it with other people. Uh, when you rate this podcast, it helps us uh, reach a broader audience. So with that said, well, I want to welcome Vitali. Well, it's an honor and it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've been keeping up with your ministry as well. So well, thank you. And um, I've been keeping up with these podcasts as much as I can. And it's definitely an honor to be here. So yeah, I'm excited. I feel like we're going to have some good, a good time. Yeah, absolutely, man. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you kind of start out in ministry? Um, I do remember this one story that I have a view of. I didn't really know who you were, but you spoke at our church for our teens. Right. And I kind of just kind of heard about you. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up your, your ministry and I'm like, this boy can preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, uh, all glory to God, man. I'll be completely honest with you. When I was... Um, when I was young, I never yeah. saw myself in ministry ever. Really? Uh, growing up, I was put by my parents into a private school. Mm-hmm. And the notion that I had about Christian private schools is that this is where all the good kids go. Yeah. Um, Which you were not. No. <laughs> this is, I realized my parents put me there because they thought the school was going to fix me. <laughs> right? So wow. that's, that's kind of the idea that a lot of people have. And I'm not going to say I was a really bad kid, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, from a very young age, I do come from a traditional conservative family Mm -hmm. and, uh, we were taught that Bible is priority number one in life, like God, Bible, spirituality. And so growing up, I did have a really good, how would I, how would I say this? A good background and a good foundation because I had to learn Bible. I had to Mm -hmm. learn verses. I had to learn all that stuff. And, um, I even had this children's bible thing when i was like eight and nine that i rewrote into a notebook completely you know because i was so fascinated by the stories i just rewrote the whole thing so um but regardless i didn't see myself in ministry ever it was just something that i did because my parents made me right of course a lot of the stories were very interesting when i was young you know your your typical david and goliath joe sunday school exactly yeah (laughs) you know a dude gets swallowed by a fish and when you're young you're like what but I'm sure there was a moment in your life where you're like, okay, this is one thing to what my parents tell me about. But when was that point in your life where you're like, okay, I got to really find or be found by God. Right. right? That, that moment happened when I was um, about 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. We had this teens ministry that kind of, let's say, erupted in our church. Right. And I was a shy kid. I was nervous. Yeah. I didn't want to be a part of it. It took them a long time to actually get me into that ministry, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to do it. Um, and the gist of it was we would sing in church with our choir and then a couple of young guys would preach. Yeah. But um, the coordinator or director came up to me once and said, hey, you know the Bible pretty well for your age. You should try preaching. To which I replied, no, no. like that's <laughs> yeah. not happening. That never. Yeah. I told yeah. him it's never going to happen. And uh, they just kind of him and my dad kind of teamed up and like, you should try, you should try. And I, and I was just set on it. It's not going to happen. Like, I know my life. I was a bad kid. Yeah. Even though I was raised in a traditional family, you know, uh, conservative parents raised sneaky kids. Yeah. So um, I, I was like, no, that's not happening. But there was a point where I finally agreed to it. Um, and I did try it and I repented because I, I was doing it to get them off my back. I wasn't mm-hmm. doing it because I wanted to where I felt led by God. Yeah. Uh, and so I did preach my first sermon. It was about 600 people. And, um, you know, it was about 15 minutes about faith, dead faith and alive faith. And after that, I actually got some phone calls from some people that were telling me, 
that that wasn't your last time. Like God has you're going to do it again. You're going to keep doing it. And so about 14 years old, ever since then, it's just been, you know, know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because for me, it was the same thing where I was like, my dad was a preacher and I'm like, that's not something I want to do. And especially since your friends don't think that's really cool, you know, because you're so used to people kind of preaching boring, which I think it's kind of a, it's an evil thing. If you're, if you're bored with the message you're preaching, like that's not good. Right. Um, but you know, my dad was kind of a fire preacher and to a certain extent I looked up to him, but I just didn't see myself like ever pursuing right, that. Right. Uh, but then when I encountered the Lord and, uh, I, I don't want to say that like somehow I have this notion that like, Oh, I have to go preach now. No, it was, a, it was more about like God changing my desires and now if you to ask me, I'm like, I think I was born to do this, you right. know? And, and it's crazy to see how things have changed so drastically. But one thing that I wanted to ask you is what helped you along the way, um, like in the, this process between, you know, like 14 to where you are right now? I mean, you are speaking to a pretty large audience. Like you have right. a whole bunch of people that, you know, uh, at your church, not only that, you've been traveling quite a lot lately as far as like other youth ministries around. Um, so what would, would you say has been kind of like things that helped you along the way or maybe people that helped you along the way? Well, first and foremost, uh, the grace of God. That's well, absolutely, always yeah. always number one. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the main thing here is that I have a family that is supportive. very supportive. Um, mm-hmm. in, in my family, my mom is the oldest of 12. And just her side of the family, uh, we have two pastors, the two yeah. deacons. My dad's a deacon. His brother in Ukraine is a pastor. Yeah. So, our whole families kind of has this his history and um, they, they serve in ministries. And so I think the first and foremost is having a supportive family, but also having a leadership in my church that allows you to grow. Yeah. You know, I, I have a youth pastor who, who I just I love with with all my heart. Um, he's an amazing guy and he's just he's not there for himself. You know, he sees young people with potential and he's all about letting them grow. And mm-hmm. same thing with, with our pastoral team. So ever since I was young, they've given me the opportunity and along the way they've taught me, a, you know, gave me advice and, and they weren't the kind of people that just like, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you're doing good. You know, they were the kind of people that if I said something wrong in a sermon, they I'm going to, I'm going to hear it after <laughs> they weren't like, yeah, dude, good sermon. Like, you know, your friends, that's what you to. need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they were the kind of people like, um, I've had multiple times and I'm thankful for this where my pastor would sit me down and after a sermon and he'd have a piece of paper and he'd be like, okay, you can't say this. Like who, who told you it was okay to say something like this or like <laughs> you can't tell your audience stuff like this or so I think along the way that's definitely been kind of, you know, yeah. the grace of God and, and the support of, of my pastoral team and the people around me and my family. So one thing that I want to kind of mention is both of us grew up in this kind of like Slavic Russian Pentecostal right. background. I think it was Pentecostal too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was not allowed to even like dance. I was not allowed to have, we were not allowed to have a Christmas tree, which I still don't get that one. Right. Um, and growing up in this community, it was kind of difficult because I thought that everything that was fun was sin. Right. Um, but now looking back in retrospect, you know, I knew how my parents, they were trying to make very like black and white uh, kind of like lines for us to mm-hmm. say, okay, you can't do that or you can not do this. Um, was it bordering a line of a bit of, uh, of legalism? Probably. Yeah. You know, was no, it definitely. tradition? Definitely. Right. Was it, was it like religion? Yeah, to a certain extent. But I think what was awesome about the Russian community is also the passion yeah, that the, sure. the, the Russian community had. And, and that's one thing that I want to kind of emphasize. And I think, coming here, 
Um, I know the stories of our grandparents, you know, spending hours and hours and hours on their knees and being persecuted by the communist kind of regime. Even my dad, even when we came here in 2001, uh, my dad got like fined for baptizing people, you know, which is, which is crazy. It wasn't here. When oh, we, when right we came, right before we came here. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, right before we came here, he got fined and, and now we came here and we have all this freedom um, but I think one of the biggest problems that I see now is that the Russian community tries to be like, I think in the, in the New Testament, there's a, there's a people called uh, the Essenes. Well, not the New Testament, it's past that just a bit, where people kind of like separated from culture right. and they decided to be their own community. And I feel like a lot of times Russian churches tend to do that, where they separate themselves from the community, where, from the culture and, and kind of like saying, okay, culture is all bad. You know, so how did you navigate that between, okay, what is real faith? What's tradition? What's, and how do I take real faith and walk it in the culture? Right. Well, for me, the, the first thing that I, and I want everyone to understand this. I know yeah. that you, you shared just a hint of yeah. it, but I want everyone to understand that the reason why the Slavic community is the way that it is with like the sense of joyless legalism, right? Yeah. Is because we have to understand that our parents and our grandparents, they came from a, from a time where, you know, they were persecuted and not, and I'm not talking, you know, like, yeah. I'm talking very heavy persecution. A lot of them, like prison time, prison time, you know, death, like and, yeah. my grandparents, my, my yeah. grandpa went through some crazy stuff because of his belief in Christ. And so we have to understand that they've seen so much and they've been through so much that it's not necessarily what we see as a joyless legalism that takes over. It's more of the idea that when they came here, when we all came here, and there's so much freedom, yeah. and when they see what, what their kids and grandkids do in this freedom, and with opportunities they have, they kind of get even, um, how would I say this, they kind of want to hold on to those, to their traditional beliefs yeah, and systems, yeah. because they feel like, you know, uh, if they have all this freedom, and they're doing this, then the only way to stop them is to bring him back to traditions, you know, and I'm not saying everyone's doing wrong, you yeah. know, but we have to understand them, you, we can't just, you know, throw it aside as they're confused, they don't know what they're doing, or, yeah. or they're just old school. They have a reason for feeling the way that they feel. I mean, uh, it's and, and we have to understand that, especially as young people, it's not yeah. just that they don't like young people, it's not just that they don't accept new forms of worship, for example, or this or that. But I think the most important thing in navigating it is to understand that their traditional beliefs mm -hmm. and behavior, it actually has a very important place in Christianity, right? Jesus says to the Pharisees, why do you forsake the commands of God for the sake of your traditions? Mm -hmm. And I am in no way saying that tradition needs to take a, a higher place than the commands of yeah. God. But we have to understand that there is a hint of importance in tradition, and it's yeah. pretty big. Well, well, I think tradition is important. The fact that like, if you don't know the history of something, you don't know if something was tested, right? Right. And tried and see, is this heresy or not? And yeah. you know what I mean? So I think we do rely quite heavily a lot of times on tradition to kind of see, okay, has this been done before? Yeah. You know, yeah. Have, have, you know, and, and when I look at the Russian community, of course, tradition itself has dangers too, because yeah, if you absolutely. are focusing on tradition, not on actual genuine passion, like if I look at history in general, I see a trend that happens over and over and over. And the trend is usually somebody comes and they come to Jesus and it's all about Jesus. It's all right. about the relationship, how it should be. But after a while they start to lose that and they move into, okay, 
how many songs are we doing? How many preachings are we doing? Right. You know, what kind of service? So it moves into liturgy of the service, yeah, right? Absolutely. And the next thing, the next level of, if you could call it apostasy, is they start building, build, build buildings, right? Yeah, yep. and, and I start to see a little bit of that in the Russian community where when they came here, it was about Jesus, it was about a passion with Jesus. Right. But then it turned into liturgy where it's like, okay, how many songs are we doing? How many like sermons are we doing? How, how long are we praying? How many people? Yeah, Exactly. Choir, like. but, and now it's just like, okay, can we build a school, a Christian school? Can right. we build a bigger building? And it's like, no, we, we have to go back to what always made sense. And that is a relationship with the Lord. And I think this is the danger that I see with kind of like going along the, the lines of, of tradition. Of course, at the same time, I do believe that the passion and the, the, what our parents have experienced that yeah. cannot be discarded. We have to respect them. That, we have to love kind, them that, and honor them. Yeah, that's them. kind of what I meant when mm-hmm. uh, about yeah. that hint of, of why why tradition is important. And um, I, I do agree with you one hundred percent. It's it's become completely different. But uh, and and that's the the hint I'm talking about is that the, regardless of of what we believe or not, what we see, what we mm-hmm. understand is they still have that passion. They did. Yeah. Unfortunately, like you said, a lot of people are are losing it, and it's becoming more of um, you know. I don't want to say a show, right? But it's it's kind of like put on put on a show to make make our people feel good, you know, with with good singing and good. It's like, hey, no, go back to the roots of where it was about seeking Jesus and knowing Jesus yeah. above everything else. That's what kept you alive to persecution because when you were hiding out in houses and yeah, and yeah. you know underground, so to speak, to mm-hmm. escape death, and you still wanted to get together and have fellowship with other believers. I can almost promise you. I mean, I wasn't there, but it was not about <laughs> how many songs. How many songs? It was about how do I worship we need Jesus? To, yeah, we need to worship Jesus. We need to know Jesus. So I think that's what's what's very important. And and for us as young people to navigate it in yeah. our culture. Now, you you mentioned black and white, which yeah. is very important. Yeah. And I've I have had conversations with some pastors who have told me, you know, you have to understand there are some gray spots. But yeah. what I do like about the uh, traditional Slavic community mm-hmm. and what can help us navigate in this culture is because we do live in a society where uh, everything is made gray. gray there yeah. is no black and white. Yeah. And so for us as young people, as Christians, especially with a traditional background, I'm not talking. I'm talking just like about Slavic community. Yeah, yeah. We have to kind of hold on to the sense of what's what's black and and what's white. Yeah. And not just you know swim around in this gray pool our whole lives because we don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. Because we don't want to hurt anyone because we. we it, it can lukewarm exactly. literally it's it's no longer yeah. about hot or cold it's more like exactly. lukewarm um one thing i want to ma- mention like we can look at the slavic church structure and government and all that we can look at that and just kind of criticize it or mm-hmm. we can say hey how can we actually be a solution and i think right. one thing that we have in common is we didn't decide to go and just abandon the russian community but we're both working in the russian community to exactly. bring it back to where it yes. should be right so then my question would be okay how do we raise up a whole bunch of young people? The whole reason why I'm even doing this podcast, right, 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 is to say, hey, how do we go forward? How do we bring genuine faith and authentic faith in the midst of, of, of traditional kind of like upbringing, but also at the same time in a culture that is so antagonistic towards Christian faith? So I think this is the bigger question. How do we bring that you know? Well, I would say one thing that's important is we have to understand is that the level of immigration that's been happening has been happening for 25 years. Yeah. Right. So that's that's about when, when most of people. So a lot of young people that are 20 and under 25 and under, they were already born here. Here. Yeah. And the faith that they experienced, um, you know, 
after years of living here was no longer the faith of yep. passion. It was the faith of synergy and, and the faith of putting on a show. Right. Mm, yeah. And so how, how, how can we as leaders, as preachers, as, as, as you know, as how can pastors, how can we ignite mm-hmm. the young Slavic generation? Well, first of all, bring them back to the roots. That yeah. passion and that black and white where it's like stand for biblical truth and nothing else. Stand on God and nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Don't be lukewarm and be on fire. And uh, I think what's important to understand is the way I see it, the biggest form of persecution is actually freedom. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up you know, too. Because yeah. our, our ancestor, well, <laughs> ancestors, <laughs> but you can say that, right? right? Like right. Our parents our and our parents, grandparents, yeah. they came from a place where um, they were persecuted. Exactly. And so they had nothing but Jesus. Mm-hmm. That, that's all they had was Jesus. Right here, it seems as though we have everything, everything but, Jesus. but Jesus. And I feel like... And I feel like we feel like if persecution comes, you know, and, and this happened when um, a couple years ago when that school shooting happened in Oregon, right, right. where uh, when the news reports came out, they said that, you know, a young guy had broken into the class and kind of mm-hmm. lined people up and said, hey, if you're Christian, you, you know, profess your faith. And yeah. whoever said they were Christian. And we were talking about it with some friends and we were like, you know, yeah. And, and a lot of guys were saying stuff like, yeah, I would never even if, if there's a gun at my head, it's like, OK. You, but but you gave it up for working for your car for right. 24 hours a day. Exactly. And so, so the way I see it is like yeah. you can't die for something yeah. that you didn't live for. Yeah. Right. You you think that you do so well in persecution, but look at how you do in freedom. Yeah. Right. And so I think what we have to do, and, and, and this is a challenge to everyone, not just to leaders, yeah. is kind of understand the roots. Go back to the basics of, of who we are and why we are put here yeah. and understand that life is not all about putting on a show because what we have in Slavic community is, how would I say this? It's it's kind of like a constant battle about who's better, who has the nicer car, who's who's rich, who can put together the yep. best highlight reel on Instagram. And, you know, it's kind of, it's always this, there's a struggle, but we have to go past that and understand this is not why we're here. We weren't yeah. brought here, you know, to go from from zero to 100 and then brag yeah. and, and boast about it we were brought here and it's very interesting because i'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. um there was a pastor's meeting i forgot where it was but one of the pastors after this meeting uh, it was a huge conference mm-hmm. he, he posted this video in his car where he was like god is going to use the slavic community mm-hmm. and i realized something and, and this wasn't a slavic pastor this was an american pastor yeah and i realized that it's because of the traditional faith Mm-hmm. It's because, and I'm not saying the traditional ideas and traditions. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the pure faith of, of like fire and passion, you know, and zeal for the Lord. If the Slavic community, especially the Indian community, could go back to that, I, I believe that God is going to use them for something. Yeah, I, I'm not sure who said this, but um, they kind of gave this image of the church being like a locomotive. Right. So locomotive is is very it's engineered to kind of like you know pull you know people like people pull uh, wagons with with people right, right? or uh, any kind of load and but it runs on steam right so they kind of brought this image where the holy spirit is the steam or the power that drives the locomotive yeah. but what we do in ministry as far as like our church systems and so on and so forth it's kind of like the engineering right yeah. and it seems like the slavic community has a lot of like prayer and like passion and like you know the american community seems to have a little bit more of the engineering part like small groups and systems and all these things and i'm like what what would be amazing is to combine those two exactly right and and, because you can't just if you just had for example steam it just dissipates right if you're praying 24 hours 
for God to save your city, but you're not actually going to your city, yeah. right? Like if you're talking about God bringing your neighbor, but like you're not actually going to your neighbor, then like, you know, it's they, like... They say that, that if you do that, then your prayer only goes as high as the ceiling. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Like. So at the end of the day, we have to not just sort of pray about it, but actually walk in faith. At the same time, if we're walking in faith, but we're not praying about it, there's no right. power that drives you know, our church, there's no power behind it. Well, that's what the Slavic community is really good at. You know, the Slavic community is really good. And and I'm just, you know, and I mean no offense, but, yeah, um, Yeah. and not all people, not all, you know, organizations or churches, but uh, we we love to talk about revival and we love to talk about reaching our cities. Yeah. But how much are we actually willing to do? And yeah, I know our parents and grandparents, they're kind of like, well, we can't really do much about it. You know, we're still... Our, our English is still, you know, we're not yeah, speaking yeah. really good English. Not, we're not fluent. And, and they always tell us, well, you guys can. And we're like, yeah, we're going to bring revival and we're going to do this. It's like, yeah, but by what? By, by just praying about it? Like, I think prayer one, is important. But. One of the biggest regrets that I have for our kind of community is that we celebrate 25 years of immigration here in the United States. But most Russian churches, they have maybe one or two American people. Right. And now, that's not just a problem for the Slavic community because we know the most segregated time is Sunday morning, yeah, you know, yeah. but this is where we have to, you know, step out of that and say, hey, our, our, you know, faith transcends our culture, our tradition, and so on and so forth. And actually, one thing that I want to mention, you guys are starting a fully English service. Yes, we are. Right. Yes. So that gives me hope. That gives yeah. me hope. Uh, it's, it's been a long <laughs> you know? time coming. The way I see it is um, in, in the book of Matthew, we read mm-hmm. about Jesus walking on the water towards his disciples. And yeah. Peter's like, you know, and they get freaked out a little bit. Jesus is like, don't worry, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, allow me to come to you on mm-hmm. the water. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking, right? We, yeah. we know the story very well. And what he experienced walking on water, like how many of us can honestly, genuinely say, people, whether it's just yeah. us or whoever's going to be watching or listening, how many of us can yeah. say that I've walked on water? Like, can you imagine the physical phenomenon that happens? And, yeah. and Peter got to experience it. Why? Because he was willing to step out. Because he was willing to step out of the boat. Yeah. For us as a Slavic community, our beautiful churches with you yeah. know, our big screens and our nice choirs and suits has become our boat. We know there's a storm happening everywhere, but we, we want to stay where we're comfortable, yep. where we're safe. It's like, no, you got to get out. And as soon as you start to get out and realize that church is not just about what happens inside of the walls, yeah. but what happens outside, then you start to experience spiritual and physical phenomena. Phenomena it's like people coming to Jesus in waves, people attending your church. For me personally, uh, when I see people from different races, ethnicities, mm-hmm. nationalities in my church, like at a church that I serve at, that I grew up in, I, I get excited, you know, because yeah. it, it's what we're here for. Absolutely, man. I, I can't kind of like overemphasize that. So uh, with that said, what would you say to a younger person that hears this and they're like, hey, you know what? I, I definitely want to do something for my city or for my church or, you know, what would you say to someone that or even like, I don't know if you have young, you have younger brothers, right? Oh, yeah, a lot. I, I got or, eight or, kids. Oh, I'm wow. Slavic, bro. Come on. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> what would you say to them, family. you know, like? Uh, well, um, I, I like to take, the, there's these principles, and I'm just going to briefly mm-hmm. go over them. Um, from the story, from the life of Joseph, mm-hmm. um, first of all, God has a plan for you. And yeah. he makes it very clear. If you, if you yeah. seek him, if you read his word, he's going to make it very clear to you. Yeah. A lot of people are like, I don't know my plan. I don't know my purpose. I don't know where God will start seeking him and he'll mm-hmm. show it to you. You know, uh, for Joseph, it was through visions and dreams. God is going to find a way to show you. You just got to believe in it. Yeah. 
Number two, uh, being called does not mean that you're going to be valued. Okay, a lot of young people. And, <laughs> oh, that's and so true. This is this for me. This is like <laughs> one of the hardest things was to get over. Was I thought, okay, I'm going to become a preacher, and people in my church are going to like me. People are going to respect me. Nope. Absolutely. <laughs> Joseph's own brothers, when he told them, like, I'm called, <laughs> right? I, right? I have a purpose. <laughs> they sold him, like his own brother. So. A lot of young people are going to get turned off by this. Don't. It's normal. Okay. Just because you are called by God does not mean you're going to be valued by people. It's almost the complete opposite. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, they turn away from ministry because of this. They're not valued. They're not liked. They feel like people don't care about them or, or actually dislike them or hate them. It's normal. You're going to get that. Well, I think a lot has to do with the fact that we've been preached to. that, like, okay, well, God has your best life now. And yeah. like... And the thing is, you get into ministry and realize it's brokenness. Exactly. You know, it's a, it's a constant brokenness. People breaking your heart, you know, you breaking God's heart. <laughs> but like, exactly. So, 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 you know, it's it's not easy. It's not. No. And then, um, so you, you have to understand that, right? N number three is we live in a microwave generation. We, we literally have asked anything we want right away at the click of a button like it's 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 absurd almost you know if, if you're hungry and you're at work you click a few buttons in 10 minutes someone's going to drop off food at your office it's crazy we we have everything now for a lot of young people what turns them off or what discourages them is that they feel like they have a calling or a purpose to do something but if it doesn't happen right now right, i don't right want it. and that's dangerous you know why because joseph was about 17 years old when god showed him the vision yeah. how old was he when he became second in command in egypt he was 30. Years, years, yeah. Right, 13. Yeah. For, what was happening for 13 years? Just waiting. Waiting. God was molding and him. And brokenness. Yeah, exactly. Brokenness. Yeah. And God was using that to mold him, to prepare him for that, yeah. for the ministry. And what's interesting is in his father's house, he was an administrator. When he came to Potiphar's household, he was an administrator. Yeah. When he was in the prison, he became an administrator. Yeah. And second in Egypt, he was the administrator. Yeah. And so in all of this, we see that God is preparing and molding. And you can do this with any person in person, the Bible. Yeah. Anyone. Uh, David. Same also, thing. same thing. Exactly. What was happening for 15 years between the time where he was anointed to be king and reaction? Not 15 years. There was much more than much that. more than that. 15 years was just the, the span of time where he was running from Saul. God was forming him. God was preparing him. And in Shaping that time, him, yeah. yeah, he was building an army. He was right. And so I think what we have to stay away yeah. from as the young Slavic community is it's not going to happen right away. Number four uh, for young people and not just young people, but for yeah. anyone that's involved in ministry is that you have to be able to trust the process. Yeah. You have to be able to understand that God is doing something with you. And even though you can't see it right now, it's going to, it's going to have its effect in the future. Yeah. Right. I don't understand. I just really don't understand how Joseph is. It just blows my mind because Put yourself in his shoes and God reveals to you that you're going to be like second in command and, and like people. And then you find yourself. How do you keep humble? Exactly. But, but then you find yourself in the bottom of a pit and you're just kind of like, wait God, a second. Is this your dream? Uh, like, is this my dream? Because like, I don't, I don't remember dreaming this part. Exactly. Right. And then, so, and then he finally gets out of the yeah. pit and okay, gets sold to slavery. And then he becomes, you know, really high up in Potiphar's household. And he might yeah. start to think like, all right, here we go. I've arrived. Here it is. And then next thing you know, he's a prisoner. And then it, again, it's like. Again, like, wait, God, like, where's this part in the dream? So I think it's just very important to trust God and, and trust, trust the process, yeah. right? We, we say that a lot, trust the process, but it, it actually means a lot. You, you have to be able to trust the process and say, um, if God is working on me, if he's doing something, I'm going to trust in his timing. I'm going to trust in what he's doing and how he's doing it. Um, and the fifth thing that's is just mm -hmm. absolutely crucial for young people is to be able to, in this process, to stay humble. What blows my mind again about Joseph is that 
after all of this, having all the power that he has, yeah. and we know that it, was, it wasn't easy for him because, you know, he messed around with his brothers a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, gave him a hard time. Yeah. But at the very end, he came to a point where uh, he ends up forgiving them. Yeah. And he even says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for but good. God meant it for good. And so we have to understand that we have to be humbled by that and understand that, yes, the Bible tells us that God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. And we have to, in all of that, understand that along the way, people are going to hurt us. Along the way, things aren't going to work out. Along the way, we're going to fail. There's going to be times where we fall down. There's going to be times where we get hurt emotionally, mentally, physically. And it's all going to happen. And we have to be humble enough to understand and accept that. It's, it happened and I have to forgive the people that hurt me. I have to be friends and work with the people that hurt me, especially in ministry. Like when, when you're working with someone, and I'm just being completely honest, like sharing my heart out here. Um, when you're working with someone in ministry who doesn't exactly share the same views and, and passions yeah, and visions. Bump against. Exactly. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like <laughs> yeah. you guys, you know, instead of going the same way, it feels like sometimes, and, and you have to, because those people are going to hurt you, whether you want to or not, yeah. you're going to experience, and you have to be humble enough to say, you know what, I forgive you. Regardless, we're working for the same things. Yeah. We have the same general vision. You know, we're, we're still got, we still got to, you know, plow the field together. So, um, so if your brother sells you, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Speaking of that, like, what would you say would have was one of like the lowest moments in your ministry like um that you're just like i don't know if i can do this because I, I, I know all of us have had those like right. i i know plenty of time i was just like i don't know if i can keep on going you know uh, what would you say uh to be completely honest i've, I've had quite a few of those moments yeah. where uh you just kind of start to weigh everything on the scales and, and you're just like I, I need to like i can't do it for me personally it was um it was a time of a lot of opposition because mm-hmm. There was a point where we were starting to do outreach because, and this was years ago, we realized yeah, that yeah. We, we have to do something. We, and we saw a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, we saw a lot of people come to church. I mean, um, yeah. in one year, um, I, I could say more than 30, 40 people. Wow. First time we're at our church. Uh, and I saw people who, you know, we did an outreach, for example. And, you know, w- w- the way we do it is typically we'll give people free food. We'll talk to them a little bit. Yeah. And when you give someone something and you tell them come to church, like, yeah, we'll be there. You know, we got like our grill set up and burgers, hot dogs. And, you know, he's like, is the the grill going to be there? Yeah, exactly. So people are like, yeah, yeah, we'll be there. But uh, along the way, I want to share just this young man that we met and he came and and we're like, you know, we'd love to see you. We're having this conference thing. And he's like, yeah, I'll be there. And, you know, of course, we're like, great. He actually ends up showing up and and his story goes that, you know, he lived somewhere else and he was in and out of jail. He was, you know, addicted to drugs, like all this stuff. And he ends up coming to the, to our service. And when I saw him, I was like, whoa, he's actually here. And I was surprised. And, uh, and that's not even the best part. The best part is, and you know, I was preaching that night at that conference and, when I preach, I like to scan the audience, see who, see what's going who's, on. Who's there, yeah. Exactly. And I kind of keeping my focus, because he was the only person that came from the outreach that we did. I mean, we had yeah. we, we had 150 people come through our church parking lot, you know, grab some food, this and mm-hmm. that. And he was the only one that came. And so, I, you know, I, obviously I had my eyes on this guy. And um, I kind of, when I, when I was preaching, I did, you know, a typical altar call and whatnot. Yeah. And I noticed this young guy was like bawling his eyes out. You know, I was praying for people. And then I kind of looked back to see where he was. And, you know, I lost him for a second. Then I realized he's on his knees and he's mm-hmm. just bawling his eyes out. And so I came up to him and I'm like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, what are you feeling? How's it going? Like, well, you know, what's going on? And he's just crying. He can't talk. Mm-hmm. And eventually he kind of comes down and says, you know, I felt something I've never felt before. I, I think Jesus came into my life, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, which was awesome. I mean, his... It, he changed, but but the discouraging thing about that was that 
He came back one more time and then that's it. And out of, let's say, 40 people that we saw come in, and I mean, we saw Muslims yeah. come in and get baptized with Holy Spirit. We saw like yeah. some crazy things. None of them stayed. And for me, uh, I looked back and it was just kind of a point where I looked back and I'm like, wait a sec, like, because we, we were talking about ministry and, and what we've done and what we can do better. And we yeah. talked about all the people. We have all their names, you know, like, uh, I'm not going to say them, but we, we looked back and I realized they're, they're not here. And, and we just, and I'm talking just about people that, that I saw at that service at the altar giving their life to Jesus. Yeah. And so for me, that was such a low moment and such a, like, are you serious? No, because I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think being a pastor, one of the reasons that I say it breaks your heart is when you work like, uh, for example, I worked at Boeing for nine years or so, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't, you have acquaintances at work, right. but you don't get like, you don't share your whole life. Sometimes you do, yeah. but for the most part, you don't get like really emotionally attached to people at your job yeah. because normally, but when you're a pastor, you know like their lows, you know their highs, you celebrate their highs, you, you yeah. cry with them, right? And then they just disappear where they just ignore you for, and that hurts because you're like, yeah. but I thought we're like, yeah, exactly. you know, and that to me is always kind of been, um, but I got to a point where I understand that heartbreak is part of it. And um, yeah. I, I, I took a, a stance where I like, every single time something like that happens, I just say, you know what? I'm thankful for the time that I had with them. Yeah. You know, and and you know, if that's all I'm ever gonna have with that person, then I'm thankful for that moment and right. I, I pray for them, you know, and that I kind of re- release them and say, Lord, I hope I see him again. But you know, yeah. well, I tried to reach out to them and, and yeah, so, on. so you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's just and and so the with that the opposition that came that mm-hmm. was like that brought to the low moment was that you know you feel like you're doing something right. And but you feel like you're it's do- not working. Yeah. And, and still, like, it's not working. And on top of that, there are people who are letting you know that it's not working. You know, who <laughs> are kind of the like... difficult part. And it's like, are you serious? Like, um, especially... And I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but like, yeah. you know, the older people in church, like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've heard it said, like, you don't need outreach. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, are you really going to tell me that right now? Like, our church doesn't need outreach. And I'm like, come on. Like, yeah. really? Or... Um, Someone once told me, and, and I'm just going to share this because it was absurd. Yeah. I do a lot of work like yeah. uh, in other countries, like Mexico, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and like I said, being called does not mean you're going to be valued. And when I was younger, I thought people are going to see this and they're going to respect you, this and that. Someone came up to me and told me, why are you wasting your time there? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you know, these people, you know, that, you know, this, that they're only, they only come to these conferences and revivals because you're going to give them something because this, because that, like you're wasting your time. Like, and, and I just, I told that person, stop, like, I'm not going to listen to you right now. Like, yeah. and, and in just people that you're doing the work of God, you know, God has called you to it, revealed it to you prophetically yeah. through people that don't even know you more than 10 times. Like, and, and I've had this people that I met in Mexico, like we, we crossed paths with a, with a different church that was doing missions there from California. And we were staying at the same hotel. And um, they were like, hey, you know what? We're, we're Christians. We're Pentecostals. Let's pray together. We got together. We had a prayer. And this like random guy, I've never met him before in my life, like comes up to me after prayer and says, hey, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you're this and this. And I'm like, what? How'd you know? And he's like, you're going through this and this in life. And this is what God. And I'm like, dude, like I've never shared this with anyone. How do you know this stuff? And then he, he goes, you know, God has a plan for your life. I saw a vision of you standing on stage with, you know, 
people like all surrounding you can't even see the end of them preaching the gospel laying hands on people they're getting healed and so the first time in my life that i heard this i was kind of like right right you're like you yeah. know who takes Suspicious. that seriously yeah but when it happened and it's happened uh, 12 times now like wow. random people that i've never in my life even Met. seen before never knew them never knew me would it's come just up god confirming yeah that the, the something that he's already exactly and so these communicated people, yeah there's there's been more but there's been a kind, those kind of people that come up to you, you know, like, I just want to prophesy into your life. And it's like, you know, they're just kind of like, and they don't even know themselves what they're saying. And they're just like, I uh, just want to prophesy. And so I, I'm not counting. I'm counting those times where someone specifically came up to me, yeah. told me something that I need to work on, that I need to improve on, that I don't know how they know about yeah. me. And then directly told me that this is the plan. That, so especially when you know all that and, and you feel like, I mean, not feel, but you know, and you're confident in the fact that you were being called by God and people are telling you you're wasting your time. And it's like, I'm doing the Lord's work. We preach about this at church. Yeah. When the preacher says we need to reach the world, all of you say amen. And then you're <laughs> going to come and tell me that you're wasting your time. Yeah. I'm like, come on. And, and it, but, you know. but I think if, you, if you're going to do anything, the enemy is going to be after you. Exactly. If you're, if you're not getting criticized, if you're not, then you should wonder, are you doing anything for the Lord, right? Like, yeah. Um, and, and also at the same time, like we cannot judge the fruit of our work based on like, exactly. you know, I think only in eternity we'll know for sure. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's, I take the approach of like always trying to sow and then let God grow that. Um, so uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you, I know that for me, it's been kind of difficult. What are some issues that you've dealt in ministry with that like, it's been kind of difficult trying to answer? Um, well, um, and this is actually, I'm really glad you brought this yeah. up because it's something that I wanted us to have a chance mm -hmm. to talk about. So... And I, and I want to ask you, so I want to take your question sure. and I want to turn it Absolutely. into a question for you. Yeah. One of the things that I get asked very often that's, I'm not going to say mm. it's difficult to answer, but when you know the people asking it and, and you know, it, it, it can be difficult to answer. So yeah, for example, absolutely. how do you maintain integrity as a young person in an immoral society? How do you as a minister maintain integrity? Yeah, I think this is, this is such an important question and I don't want to just kind of like, kind of rush through it, but I would say for me, it's always been about what do you surround yourself with? What do you listen to? What do you That's what good. do you spiritually eat daily? Um, look, I I like going to the gym, right? right? But if I didn't eat for a whole month and then I'm trying to bench press 300 pounds, right? right that's not gonna happen. Uh, and I think a lot of times people don't equip themselves and they're trying to bench way too much, right? Like, yeah. In a spiritual sense. Uh, and to me, it's always been about okay, how do you maintain integrity by being convicted by the Word of God every single day? Right. Uh, the first thing that I do in the morning is I put my iPod on and I have like, you know, I, I do the Bible in 90 days, you know, and I try to go through different translations, right, you right, know, right. every 90 days or whatever. Um, but like by being convicted every single day, one, the other thing is, is that what do I take in? What kind of movies that I watch? What kind of music that I listen right. to? Because all that has a huge effect on how yeah, you feel, absolutely. what are you convicted by? Um, you know, it's always a product. Um, so so you, how you feel and what, how you walk out is always a product by the things that you hold, your values, right? Like you hold true. Um, so I think the best thing that I can tell you, obviously, uh, is is walking with Jesus. And I think the Holy Spirit is is very good at convicting you, <laughs> Come on. you know, and, uh, you know, cause I understand, you, you know, this, you can go up there and be the best person ever right. in your private time or in your private home, you know, exactly who you are, Exactly. you know? So for me, it's always been about, you know, pleasing the crowd is not that important. Uh, making sure they look great in front of the crowd. Like if you, 
come to my church and you serve in our leadership team. Edward, who's actually behind the camera, he <laughs> serves on our leadership team and he knows my flaws. He knows the things that I do very, very, very bad. <laughs> and some of the things that I say, I'm like, what, what did I say that for? What are the th- stuff that I do? So right. they see my flaws, you know? And, and to me, it's, it's never been about, okay, trying to hide those things. I think, right. uh, and the last thing I want to mention is, I think a wise man is also a repentant man. And being able to, to ask for forgiveness and being able to, you know, seek repentance. I think those are the things that keep me walking in integrity. As far as the culture, to me, it's always been, okay, the world well, is the world. Yeah, so, you know, I wanted to ask yeah. you about that, actually. Yeah. So, uh, because since we're talking about it, and you brought up a really good question, mm-hmm. you know, some things that, some of the hard things that you deal with in ministries, yeah. especially, and I'm going to talk especially about young yeah. people, because I'm, I'm going to guess that a majority of the people going to be listening to this are going to be young people. Probably young so, people, yeah. Um, you know, bringing up the question of integrity, mm-hmm. I also wanted to, you, to have a chance to ask you, especially, you know, and you said, like, it's dependent on what you take in, what you surround mm-hmm. yourself with. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, um, which you know very well, that the way society is moving right now, yeah, it's kind of, and you can't escape it. Young people are surrounded. Let's use, for example, the, um, the LGBTQ movement, mm-hmm. right? So in all of this, right, maintaining integrity through all of it, but how do you also, I'm not going to say maintain integrity, but we could go that direction. Yeah, yeah. But how would you as, what would you recommend as a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher, someone who is leading the youth, how would you recommend that they deal with this and also to maintain integrity when there are so much, there's so much opposition from from these communities and these yeah. all these movements that challenge our faith on a daily basis in every place we go to in our schools, even in our churches. How would you recommend, or what would you suggest, or advise young people in in dealing with situations like yeah. this? Yeah, I think that's a very loaded question, mostly because it's such a sensitive issue. Right. I mean, when we're talking about the kind of like the gay community in general or transgender community, I mean these people they've dealt with it a lot of times a a lot of years of their lives right you know a lot of them have been through like being molested and and so this is a very sensitive issue and i think for me it's always been tell the truth but don't just tell the truth tell the truth in love and gentleness and respect you know and when i look at this i know for sure that even in the russian community there's people that struggle with this yeah you know and uh, you know, my heart is first to, you know, go and, and, and kind of take care of their needs mm-hmm. as much as I can as far as like, hey, if they're they're going through a difficult season of their life, pray with them and so on and so forth. But you always have to tell the truth right. because the tension there is always, do I, am I, should I be nice or should I tell the truth? Right. I don't think you're being nice by lying to them. That's true. Should I, should I tell them the truth, you know, and love them or should I kind of like lie to them and pretend that I love them. I don't think you love people when you lie to them, you know? And for me, it's always been like, I got this question asked yesterday in a real life situation where some people that are planning on coming to our church are struggling with same-sex attractions. And I was asked my position on this. And I I would say, if you want to actually know our position, like I always take the position of the Nashville statement, Mm -hmm. which was kind of like, drafted and put together in 2017, I believe, by a lot of different Christians that are very predominant in, in, in the American culture. But I think the struggle is always, okay, you know, I'm, am I going to be rejected? Well, 
I'm not in, I didn't get into this to be accepted, quite frankly. At the end of the day, for me, telling the truth is more important uh, because if, because you have pastors that have accepted this. Right. Pastors that that affirm of this lifestyle, which I know that anybody with a fifth grade education, or maybe even less, and if they read the Bible at least once or twice, they know that these pastors are lying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess, would you want to have a friend that tells you the truth, yeah. you know? Or do you want a friend that flatters you and lies to you? A, a painful truth is always better than a flattering lie. And so the reason, I'm actually, yeah. like, so I love yeah. the way this is going, because the reason why I asked, now you asked me like some of the problems. One yeah. of them is maintaining integrity. Mm-hmm. The other one is maintaining integrity and, and um, a state of truthfulness and righteousness surrounded by all this stuff. Now, uh, I want to take it a step further. Yeah. And, I w- and I would love to get your input on this because, you know, you're someone who's dealt with it front lines, mm-hmm. like you said about the situation. So if you are a young Christian, now I'm talking, you know, you're, my, I have young, younger siblings that are in, in middle school, high school, and elementary school. Yeah. And uh, they come to me like, yo, this is happening in my class. Mm-hmm. I have friends that are teachers that tell me about younger mm-hmm. kids in, in elementary school, not high school, elementary school, who are already confused. And so for you as a pastor, especially to young people who are not just surrounded and influenced you know, by media or, or, mm-hmm. or um, YouTube or TV or movies or shows, but real life people in real life situations in their schools. And even like you said, even pastors nowadays that are accepting these movements and that are even, and I'm going to say this, even f- some are fighting for these movements. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend? So for us as Christians, you got to be able to stay truthful, yeah. right? Like you said, truth is always better, but you've got to do it in a loving way. How do you do that when you are surrounded by it, not only by influences outside of the church, but also inside the church? Yeah, I think we also have to make a distinction here and uh, that not not everyone that's dealing with this issue is on the same kind of like plain level. And what I mean by that is there's people that struggle with same-sex attractions, there's people that live that lifestyle, right. and there's people that promote that lifestyle. Okay, so right. those are three different things. If you are struggling with this, there's... You know, you can attend church. You can be part of like a community. You can serve in leadership, yeah. even if you're strong. Because like, guess what? Everyone gets tempted. Some people get tempted with uh, heterosexual desires. Some people get tempted with homosexual desires. And I know that some people might criticize me on this, but like everyone is tempted. You know, everyone right. has, you know, but if you have embraced this lifestyle, then please understand you need to get out of that lifestyle. That lifestyle has nothing but destruction when it comes to this. So now, of course, if you're dealing with the attractions, then you also have to seek, you know, God's kind of like redemption, you know, in in that. But what I'm trying to say is that, like if I were to talk about just church in general, I would not have you serve on my team if you embrace that lifestyle, right? But if you're dealing with these temptations, that, that, that's not the same thing as living that lifestyle, yeah, okay? And the third thing is, is that if you're promoting this, well, that's a special kind of evil. Yeah. You know, that's a special kind of like sin where it's already iniquity. It's beyond this, yeah, yeah. you know, where people... So when I look at pastors that should know better, but they embrace this, not only they embrace this, but they promote this. Like, you're not doing anybody a service here, you know? And one day they will have to give an account to, to a living God by by what they've preached. Yep. It's one thing when you have a kid that is 
you know, is trembling and is trying to deal with this issue that's way over their head, trying to yeah. deal with this. It's one thing, but then when you have a pastor that has embraced this and is promoting this, that is a completely different level of, of evil. And, and I, I think that, you know, we have to look at it in those terms that everyone is not on the same playing field. Yeah. There's people that are just having the desire and they're tempted. There's people that live the lifestyle. Um, I don't think you can be Christian openly living that lifestyle. Yeah. You cannot count yourself a Christian openly like defying, you know, but I do believe that you can be Christian and still have temptations when it comes to that lifestyle. And I hope that you, you know, uh, but but when it comes to pastors claiming to be Christians, I wouldn't even call those pastors. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing is, I think um, it's important to us to understand the society that we do live in mm-hmm. is, is at a place where it promotes feelings and acceptance over anything else. We know... Even the transgender movement. Yeah. We know biologically, we know. Right. Yeah. It's just one or the other. I mean, there are, there are what, 70 plus other pronouns now that you can address somebody as? Is that Genders, possible? rather. R- gender. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, well, see, it, see, I'm not being uh, sensitive. <laughs> there's, <laughs> but, there's two, my God. But like, but, yeah. But the thing is, especially with pastors, and, and this is so crucial for young people to understand, is that you are not living like we've been kind of talking about and, and, and our whole point here is to you know kind of speak to young people on, on, on how to do it and how to yeah you know give some advice the point here is you're not living the, the gospel is offensive it's very offensive it's I, on that note somebody's like Slavik, do you really think i actually had this asked of me at camp do you really think that jesus is the only way and i'm like absolutely and she looks at me and goes, don't you think that's ex- very exclusive? I think, and I looked at her and I'm like, I think truth in itself is very exclusive, yeah. right? Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's either black or white. Exactly. So, so what we have to understand, and, and, I, and I really, this is something that I pray about yeah. and I talk to young people often is, um, you know, the, the gospel is offensive. It's the, it's the good news. It is the good news. And it is, it's great news. But there are things in it that are very offensive and, mm-hmm. and not everyone is going to want to hear them. But you being put here by God are not going to answer to people. Yeah. And you're not going to answer to their feelings. And you're not going to answer to their emotions and their desires and, and you know, their feel-good philosophy. You're going to answer to God on the basis of His truth. Yeah. So you as a young person, no matter how hard it is, no matter how... And, it, and it's not going to be easy. No matter how, how much... Pe- and I'm not saying get in their face and get offensive about it. Yeah. Do it with love. But you have to understand, even when you do it with love and gentleness and care and compassion, even then, you're still going to have to tell them the truth. And the truth is yeah. going to offend people. So Absolutely. It's important for young people, even though there is pastors, there is very prominent Christian leaders that we all know and listen to um, that are taking a stance, almost a neutral stance on this. And even more, I'm not even saying neutral, I'm going to say even yeah. more than neutral stance on this when we know it should be kind of like, yes, yes, no, no. It's... It is a black and white issue, but it, it's dealing at the same time. It's it, the issue itself is black and white, but yeah. when it comes to people's lives, I mean, this is where yeah, we have exactly. to be sensitive and tell the truth um, with gentleness and respect. I think if you are a pastor or if you are a leader in the church, I think you need to ask yourself: um, Do you want to be in the business of handing out parachutes or pillows? Right? Like, if the plane is going down, right? Like, I don't want to be caught with like, "Oh, let me make your flight more comfortable." No, right. this thing is going down, right? Right. right? I want to give people, like, tell them the truth. And I think this right. is what we're doing here. It's like, oh, you're dealing with this? 
let me make you feel more comfortable. No, what they need is salvation. What they need is encounter the Lord, not, not give them a pillow and be like, oh yeah, well, I accept the way. It's like, no, Jesus accepts you the way you are, but he yeah. won't leave you the way you are. Yeah. All of us came with our own problems. All of us came with sins and, and you know temp- temptations and came with tendencies, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, this is where we have to say that we died to that old lifestyle yeah. and we're a new creation in Christ. Amen. And then, you know, our lifestyles should change almost right away. We need to stop and repent. But at the same time, our desire sometimes it takes a bit longer for them to yeah. change and transform. That's true. You know? Um, so, sorry, dude, I get so kind of like passionate about this and because I think thing. it's such a sensitive issue. But I think it need, we need to talk about it, you know, as well, pastors. And well, leaders. because we have to understand, and you would not believe how often I have to deal with this because we feel like, okay, it's still pretty distant. It's still, but it's an issue that young people are faced with every single day. Every single day. Yeah. I have. Um, six younger siblings. I have an Mm -hmm. older brother and six younger siblings. Um, Two of them are in high school, college age. One of them is in middle school. The other two, every single one of them, the other two are in elementary school. Every single one of them, almost on a daily basis, comes up and tells me about something that happened at their school or with one of their friends. That That you're just kind of like, what? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and, and so it's a real issue. And I'm not even talking, apart from family, there's still youth ministry. There's still church. People that I never even heard of, you know, that follow my ministry will contact me or message me. Try to answer this. Exactly. And so you asked, you know, you kind of proposed, like, what's the big problem? Like, what are some big problems? And this is one of them. We have to understand that. We're not going to escape it. We're going to have to deal with it. And I think the insight you're providing on how to deal with it is actually very good. And I think that people need to listen to it and understand that, yes, you have to be compassionate. Yes, you you can't be offensive. You got to be loving. You got to do it in a caring way, but you always have to tell the truth, no matter what, always. And, And just don't settle for less because you might want to, you know, save a friendship. You might want to uh, not get, you know, stared down in an ugly way or scolded. You might not want to get, um, you might not want to be that person that everyone looks at as like, oh, insensitive, this and that. But you're not going to answer to people. At the end of the day, you you answer to God and nobody else. So one thing I wanted to ask you, kind of shift uh, gears here and say, because I always try to ask people this, Okay, um, we can talk about issues, and I'm definitely going to have you on again because I think, you know, we've been going for an hour. Right, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, good talk. But one thing I wanted to ask you is how do you personally, practically, you live in light of eternity? What are some things do you do daily or maybe yearly or monthly, you know, that sort of kind of like say, I, I choose to live my life differently? And that's kind of like the whole point of why I'm doing this, right? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. One of the things, just real quick, when I yeah. was younger and my parents told me about what eternity would be like. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a whole different subject. <laughs> exactly. I was like, do I want that? Singing on clouds. Yeah. With the heart, right? Right. <laughs> so, and, and to go off, like, uh, I always thought about it, like, man, do I want that kind of eternity? Like, it seems kind of, like, I'll be completely honest, it seems boring. Yeah. Like, forever. But one of the things I notice is when you're here and uh, when you go to church, or when, you, when you're involved in a prayer where you feel the presence of God, it's one of those things that will go on for hours and you won't even know. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that for me in, in living in the light of eternity on a daily basis, and I know this is going to be super cliche. Yeah. But Absolutely. prayer, Bible reading. Absolutely. And you spoke about yeah. this and I'm so glad that you mentioned yeah. it is intake. Mm-hmm. What do you take in? Like, what do you Constantly, allow? Exactly. Yeah. For me, and and I know we, we all struggle with this, the kind of music you listen to, whatever you watch. I try to keep myself away from that kind of stuff. I was driving in the car. I stopped at a red light. 
and I just hear this loud, like obnoxious yeah. music. And I'm like, are you serious? Like I'm, I'm trying to listen to my worship and, and I look over and I see this young, uh, young, uh, young black girl and she's in her car and I, and I didn't catch it, but I look at her and I'm like, what? And she's got her hands up. And she's like she's crying, worshiping. and the beat is, and the music, I realized, is Oceans by Hillsong. <laughs> and I was like, dude, are you serious? This is awesome. And, and I'm over here like, like this is, this is what you got to do. Every opportunity yeah. you get, every opportunity you get to take something in, take something yeah. in that's eternal, Absolutely. that's not earthly, right? Some worship, some prayer, listen to sermons, like do this stuff on Podcasting a daily basis. Out. Podcasts, exactly. There's a great one that's called uh, Eternal Stance. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> oh, is that yours? <laughs> yeah, so you just, you know, whatever. Nice plug in there. <laughs> well, hey, I had such an amazing time talking to you, bro. And yeah, thanks this, for having me, bro. We got to do part two on this. We, we have show, way absolutely. too much stuff to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Normally, they're about 30 minutes. We want to run And for you guys who are listening on podcast, thank you so much for. Uh, spending almost an hour listening to this and I hope this blessed you and if it did um, I'd love you if you can rate this podcast when you rate this podcast it helps us um, kind of reach a broader audience um, so yeah with that thank you so much for listening and I'm looking forward to the next one God bless you guys and take care